let's go to Philippians 1. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Now, have you been, like me, keeping up with this uh, story about, um, um, is it Jamie Kloss? Is that the last name? You know, you know I've, I've read a lot about that. I'm embarrassed to say that I lost touch with that story until she was found. I don't know that it was on the front pages of our papers till she was found, even though she was missing for 88 days, something like that. Kathy, up kind of by where you grew up, right? Not, not far from there. I read, a, um, I read a story today that they're doing a welcome home service at her uh, Roman Catholic church. Uh, where she had attended today. That would be a, a great service to attend, wouldn't it? Um, but you know what's interesting is I, I saw pictures even this morning of her with, uh, I think, a cousin and with her aunt with whom she will now live. Knowing what she went through, and by the way, if you don't know this story, the story is uh, she was kidnapped after the kidnapped, kidnapper murdered her parents. But the pictures I've seen of her this week, she's had a bit of a smile on her face. Thirteen. I think that's right, isn't it? Thirteen years old. She's had a little bit of a smile on her face. And that, that caused me to deal, as I'm dealing with this passage, I think, how do you go through uh, a person, despite their tragedy, who can still smile? And you could chalk it up to her being 13 years old. Kids are resilient. Man, she's been through a lot. Why do you suppose some are resilient in the worst of conditions? That I think we can deal with that a little bit with Paul. Now, let, let me give you some of the background of that. Uh, uh, Paul's letter here is written to um, Christians in Philippi, which is in Macedonia. Um, I think, okay, uh, I think if I remember the history right, um, that this was named for Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, I think. Um, uh, don't hold me to that. Don't sue me if that was not right, but I think that's right. Um, it was a well-established, prosperous city on a major Roman road that connected the east and west coasts of the Grecian Peninsula. Philippi had a really rich history about... Uh, and they were really proud of it, kind of a military history of which they were proud. In 42 BC, war between factions of the Roman ruling classes uh, came to an end with a battle fought near the city of Philippi. The victors, okay, the faction that won, rewarded their soldiers, rewarded um, those who had fought the battle by granting them land nearby Philippi. Um uh, uh, establishing Philippi as kind of a Roman colony. And so a lot of the people that lived there were retired military people. Isn't that interesting? Uh, we, we have some of that going on around here. And uh, they celebrated kind of this victory in that way. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome, writes back to the Philippian church. Um, he was, we think he was under some kind of house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial before Nero, uh, probably during his first Roman imprisonment, which would have been about A.D. 61, 62, 63. He was later uh, put in prison again in A.D. 67 or so. We think this was during the first imprisonment. Uh, for the Philippian Christians, 
um, the fact that Paul was in jail, was in prison, probably prompted a crisis of faith. Accustomed to taking pride in all things Roman, all right, and looking up to Paul as God's man that had led them to faith, they got into, now come to terms with, my hero is in prison by my government. Think of that just for a minute, how hard that would be on both sides of that equation. But the church had problems in addition to this. If you read uh, just the first um, uh, couple of verses of Philippians 4, you realize that Paul actually calls out two people who were in some kind of a faction or quarrel or, uh, uh, or disagreement within the church. Wouldn't it be great to be called out in the Bible and then, you know, for the next 2,000 years, people read your name and know what you did. That's, that'd be kind of tough, you know. Um, so there's kind of rivalry and conflict. Um, but all of this kind of in context suggests there's a bigger problem. Let's deal with a little bit of Paul's perspective on all this issue, all of these problems. Steve Blair, you want to go to chapter 1, verse 12, and read down through 14? Okay, now, if I'm one of the ones who is a part of this church, who is receiving the letter, I wonder if some of those people were thinking, you know, is Paul in jail because he's been unfaithful? Um, has God abandoned Paul? Is the gospel really not true. Think about that. They're just getting used to the idea of the gospel, have responded to it by faith, but now the person who shared the gospel with them is in jail, facing uh, possible, and we know, eventual execution. Is there something wrong with Paul? Is there something wrong with God? Does this message that he t taught can I really not count on it? So I've got to think of it in that context. And in that context, his reaction is fairly amazing, isn't it? He's in prison. And he is sharing with them this wonderful perspective on his life and on theirs. And what I want you to know is one of the things that I read this week that I had to kind of begin to deal with is this is not just pie in the sky, by and by, silver lining thinking. Everything's going to turn out all right. This is not that. I think, in the, in the, the word that goes in your first blank is the word sacrifice. I think what Paul is kind of dealing with here is he's saying, you know, if Jesus suffered for the gospel itself, He's considering himself kind of fortunate to be able to suffer for the gospel's expansion. Am I far off base there as you look at verse 12? Uh, what a perspective. 
wait a minute, Jesus suffered. So if I've got to suffer for that message to go forth, Paul says, I'm okay with that. What a perspective. You ever met anybody that's got kind of a wonderful perspective on a really horrible life? I've met a few of those. And I, I leave them and I think, how do you do that? I am fraught with, okay, Ellie, you know, I'm fraught, Rhonda knows better than anybody else, fraught with first world problems. You know that term? If you don't know that term, look it up. John, you know the term? You know the term? Somebody define it. What's a first world problem? The Wi-Fi's not working. That, that's the one I thought about, actually. <laughs> or it's not working fast enough. Maybe it be working, but it's not working fast enough. That's a perfect example. What? You know? My TV only has 400 channels. You know? That, yeah. Okay? And there's nothing on TV, on those 400 channels. Uh, by the way, that's a regular occurrence, Dan. Yeah, I know. A first world problem. I read this week that people in, I don't want to misquote this, people in Liberia in 2019 live on about $118 a year by comparison. That is not a first world issue. That's a third world issue puts first world in perspective, doesn't it? And sometimes I forget. Okay? Um, I didn't start the car early enough today, and there was ice on the windshield that I had to scrape off with a CD case this morning because my, <laughs> because my scraper broke during the last little cold snap. That's pretty much a first world problem. Yeah. I got a car with heat for crying out loud. I got a car, yeah. Um, I, I'm rubbing it into Dr. Fizer this morning because he doesn't have heat at his house. I, I probably shouldn't say this, but so, and the message, and you got to see this in verse 13. The message is being, and this is implied, it's not direct in here, but the message is being responded to by a really unlikely audience. An unlikely audience. Now, um, uh, look, look with me. Uh, somebody go to Mark fifteen thirty nine. John, would you go over there for me? Mark fifteen thirty nine. Just read. This is a scene from the cross of Christ, and there's a Roman soldier involved. Mark fifteen thirty nine. You got it. A centurion. Now, I want you to think about that guy. By the way, did you ever watch The Greatest Story Ever Told? Who was that guy in The Greatest Story Ever Told? Anybody know? John Wayne. Surely this must be the Son of God. Yeah. Oh, Allah. You know, I mean, that, it literally was kind of like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, think of that when you think of who Paul's talking about in verse 13. He can already point to a tangible expression of the gospel's advance because he's dealing with it every day while in jail. Paul was guarded day and night by members of Rome's Praetorian Guard. This was an elite military unit who was entrusted with the safety of the emperor and other high imperial officials 
And since John was kind of a, uh, since Paul was kind of a guest of theirs, so, so to speak, they wanted to get him to trial before Nero. So they wanted to protect him. There were people who wanted to kill him. Okay? And so, um, so these people were, were kind of guarding him. So person after person, um, uh, day after day, he would have a guard that might even be chained to him. And the result of that is reported on in verse 13. Look at it again. It's implied here. My imprisonment, imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. What you've got to catch here is a new Praetorian Guard comes in. They chain him to Paul. He introduces himself. Son, are you married? Well, yeah, I am. This is pretty good duty here. They allow me to have a home and a family. Great. Tell me about your family. Well, I've got a couple of kids and a wife. and We love living in Philippi. Well, let me tell you my story. And you read about it in Acts 26. You read about it in 16 and 17. I mean, let me tell you my story. By the time that man's shift was done, he was a believer in Jesus. And so they send another one. And here we go again. Can you see that? The message is being ex expressed and expanded through the Praetorian Guard of the Roman army. That's just nuts. In Rome, or in a Roman province, certainly right out, or in Greece, but in a Roman province. Now, so the idea here, there's a tangible evidence, he says in verse 13, every day of the gospel's expanse in an unlikely audience. But let me tell you what, if you didn't want to come to faith in Christ, don't hang out with Paul very long. And these guys had to, it was their job. To put in an eight-hour day, a 12-hour day, whatever it was, guarding him. Now, so look at verse 14. What is it here that gives them boldness? What is it that emboldens the Philippians to share the gospel? Verse 14. What do you think? It's funny, isn't it? He's saying, okay, if I, if I get verse 14 right, he's saying, in, he doesn't say, in spite of my chains. How does it say it in your, in your Bible? Because of. Because of the chains, the gospel is expanding. That's his perspective. He wants that to be their perspective. Um, and so he says... Take my example here. Think of my chains as you wonder whether or not to share your faith and let it give you courage. If I can do this, and he, and he rattles a chain, if I can do this, it's going to be okay for you to do the same thing. His literal 
uh, what emboldens them to share the gospel is his chains. Not in spite of the chains, but literally, Paul says, because of the chains. And the church is expanding. The gospel is being shared. Now, let's go, let's go to 15. Uh, John, I'm going to come back to you if I can. Read 15 and go ahead and read all of 18. We'll, we'll stop kind of in the middle of 18, but I want you to read the whole verse. 15 down through 18. perspective. Again, this is all about perspective. Uh, the title of the lesson today, you know, we, we talked about walking in love. We talked about last week walking in submission. Today we're talking about walking in joy. Um, uh, while Paul is in prison, what you've got to catch here, while Paul is in prison, others less purely motivated are vying for his audience, for his church. And they, be, they come in behind him and are teaching things that are kind of interesting. And there's some rivalry taking place, but he wants no part of it. While he's in prison, others preach, hoping to gain influence, hoping to gain a reputation, a following of their own. Now, I want you to go with me if you want to. Otherwise, you can just li listen. I'm a pretty good storyteller, okay? Um, I can read stories pretty well. Um, I'm going to go to Acts 16. I'm going to read the story of how this church started. Okay? This is interesting to me. Acts 16, 22. I especially like this uh, passage because uh, four and a half years ago, I really began to study Silas. Because I got a little boy named Silas that I'm nuts about. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robe off and then proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they'd struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Interesting. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison uh, uh, prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Don't harm yourself for we're all, we're all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. Are you aware that that was the beginning of the Philippian church to whom Paul was now writing? This jailer would have been one of the elders in the Philippian church, whose family came to faith. And so he remembers all that, and now he notices that there's some people coming behind him Tearing things up a little bit. He's, he's afraid they're, they're falsely motivated. And, and this has been reported. And, um, and he's, he's 
telling them to kind of hold the line. What did it cost Paul to start this church? A lot. I, I heard about some beatings there, didn't you? Imprisonment. Uh, fear. I um, have been a few times lately into what they call Old Moor. Haven't been there in a long time, but now that I live near there, you know, I'm, I've been in Old Moor a couple of times looking for something. We had a fireplace issue that we had to go to Old Moor to handle. And um, uh, as I'm going by, I see an old building that in 1970 or so was um, maybe 68, 69, I'm trying to remember the exact year, was the J.C. Hall. Now, I don't even know, are the J.C.'s still active? I guess they are. But the J.C.'s had a building, a cinder block building in downtown Moore, when Moore was just a little place. And um, it was a growing place, but a smaller place. And I remember the first public, um, the first public services of the church that my mom and dad were helped to, helping to plant in Moore were in that building. And we'd come in early, early on Sunday morning, earlier than this, and we'd have to sweep it out because they would hold dances there on Saturday night. And so we'd have to throw away beer bottles and other stuff and, and sweep stuff off the floor and set up chairs. We had an old piano that we set up there. I, I, I kind of delivered a message to um, uh, the, the current pastor of the church in Moore, and I said, if you ever want a history lesson, I'd love to drive you and show you where the church met here and here and here before we built the church that you're now using as a youth center that costs a lot of us a lot of money and time and effort. What did it cost to start a church? There are a few left, by the way, who were there 60 years ago here. Hubert was close. I'm looking over to see if he was there. Um, um, Judy Gotzel was there. Um, um, O.A. Guard Jr. was there. There's a few. What did it cost? Can you imagine sitting in a jail cell thinking, those guys better not tear this up. It cost me a lot to start this church. Look at the next verse. It, his perspective in verse 18 is just amazing. Look at verse 17 and 18. I'm gonna, uh, John, read 17 and 18 again, would you? In the 1980s, the last time I lived in South Oklahoma City, the early 1980s, um, actually mid-1980s, I um, every day just about went by uh, the um, 104th and Penn South Side, and there was a mansion on that corner that looked like someplace where the Beverly Hillbillies would live. 
And it literally had, occasionally when I drove by there, it had a Rolls Royce parked out front in, a multi -car, in front of a multi-car garage. Okay? I was living in a $55,000 home at 14% interest in 1985. Remember those days? Okay? And I'm driving every day by the Beverly Hillbillies. And I recognize, because I, you know, I finally asked my dad, who lives there? Well, it was a local pastor. A guy that made a deal with his church, and uh, literally when they had nothing, it was, I'm going to take a percentage of everything that comes in. And when they became a big church, that was a really good deal. Okay? Do you know that corner is completely bare now? That, that seems tragic to me on several levels. But when I met this fella, and I did once or twice, I wonder if my reaction was what Paul's was in the first part of, of verse 18 when he says, do you notice, when he hears about all this and it's reported to him, he, his reaction is, you know what? If Christ is preached, then I'm good. You catch that? And that guy with the $55 million I got You know, I don't know what I think about that, but I wonder what Paul would have said. Is he would have asked, "Is Christ preached?" And then he said, "Okay, okay." You know, I'm I'm trying to think what his reaction would have been. But he says here, "But Christ is preached." So be careful. I need to be careful to guard my attitude. If that was Paul's attitude about a church that cost him his blood to start. Let's go to the next little section. We'll kind of move this toward the end. Cindy, you mind to read, uh, uh, pick up there again at 18 and read down through 21? I think it's interesting, again, the word because is used here. And what causes Paul to rejoice is not him. He says, it's not me. It's the fact that the message is going forward. The message is going forward. The deliverance then that he speaks of in verse 19 is really interesting. He's not talking about something coming in the future. The word deliverance is usually used, the word that's used here for deliverance is usually used in a military sense. It's the, the, our army delivered us from the enemy. But it's not used in that sense here. Paul uses, uh, I'll be delivered, he says here in verse 19. Do you catch that? He, he says, uh, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, we know from history that um, um, how will he be delivered? Will he be delivered from jail? Yeah, but only to be jailed again and eventually put to death. So when he says, this will be for my deliverance, he's talking about his life now. <laughs> Interesting to me, his perspective is, he's talking about life with Jesus is my deliverance. 
living with Jesus day by day, moment by moment, sharing Jesus with these crusty Romans who they put in here to take care of me every day, watch over me. That's my deliverance. He's already been delivered. He's in a constant state of deliverance. Life with Jesus is your deliverance. Boy, I love that. And I want to live with that kind of perspective, you know. And so he begins to talk in verse 20 about the shame and disgrace that go along with being imprisoned. You know, being arrested is shameful. Being imprisoned brings some shame. Trial brings some shame. But he says, Jesus accepted this kind of shame. I can do that too. For Jesus' sake, for Jesus' name's sake, I can do this. I can have joy because I've got life with Jesus. Paul's view of shame and disgrace have been changed. They've been transformed by the message of Jesus. And then he gives us this amazing perspective. For me, to die is gain. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Go with me a couple of places. Let's go to Matthew 10, 39. So it's going to be back to your left. Oh, a good half inch. Matthew 10. Jesus says a really unusual thing. Right? We used to sing a song about this. He who has found his life will lose it. And who has, who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who has found his life is going to lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. In Romans, it sounds like uh, all kinds of paradox, doesn't it? In, in Romans 8, I won't read it for now, but I want you to. Uh, in Romans 8, he talks about, about nothing being able, possible, to separate him from the love of Jesus. To die is gain. So, does this not put my trial like it did his, my storm, in perspective? Maybe for you, it is a literal storm. Uh, I think of uh, Richard and Kay, who are in here a lot of Sundays, who are going through the storm of cancer. But don't you remember, uh, Teresa, how long was it ago when a storm literally took everything they had? Eight, I'm going to guess seven or eight years ago. I, I can't remember which storm it was, but it just literally wiped them out. Yeah, a tornado. Yep. In Piedmont, whenever that one was. And now he's going through the storm of cancer. Some of the rest of you are going through that kind of a storm now. What about a layoff or the loss of a job? I've been through, with some of you through something like that. A health issue. Something that led to some kind of poverty. Ray, what a single yap, man. You went through a tough thing a couple years ago. And you have made such lemonade out of that lemon. Losing that job was really hard for you. And yet, you seem happier now than you did then. Am I right? I, I think I'm close. Because I hear you talk about it. You've said some things to me about it. What's my perspective to be on whatever my storm is, whatever my trial is? Here's what Paul's going to say. Here's his testimony. Let me fill in the last two blanks for you. 
To live is Christ. To live is Christ. Um, earlier this week, looking back there to see if David was here, because I think he would be the only one who had been here when I said this earlier in this week. Uh, earlier this week, a few of us gathered over in the pavilion to say goodbye to um, to um, Bob Blair, who was just a big teddy bear of a guy, and and uh, who for I, I'm, I'm telling you guys, for 15 years, every time I saw him, he would say, okay, when I die, you're going to bury me, right? Bob, you'll outlive me, but sure. Made that promise, I bet, 100 times in 15 years. And so we gathered to have pie Friday. Oh, I'm kind of good with that, you know? We had pie and talked about Bob a little bit and, and prayed and thanked the Lord for his life. I read this Friday or Thursday at his service, but because I remembered it, from, I, I'd used it before. Uh, W.A. Criswell, who was the great uh, long-standing pastor of First Baptist uh, Dallas, uh, wrote a book about that thick that I use a lot in just pastoral work. It was, it's a really good handbook for pastors. If there's anybody in your life who uh, does ministry on a regular basis or has um, that's their chosen vocation, um, Criswell's Guidebook for Pastors is a really, would be a really wonderful gift if you can find one. Um, here's what he says. This, this is worth the ticket to Sunday school today. For me to live is Christ, then to die is gain. Here's his explanation. If for me to live is money, then to die is a loss. If for me to live is pleasure, then to die is a loss. If for me to live is self, then to die is a loss. If for me to live is ambition, then to die is a loss. If for me to live is sin, then to die is a loss. If for me to live is this world, then to die is a loss. <laughs> but if for me to live is Christ, then to die is a gain. Wow. Profound, huh? You'll be with him. So whether here, Paul says, or whether there, what a perspective. To live is your testimony that for me to live is Christ. What's your perspective? Not when I face something terrible, not to face it. I, I love that the fact that Paul didn't just say, oh, well. You know, I, sometimes I meet people and it's like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know that perspective? I've had people say to me a lot over the last uh, 10 or 15, 5 or 10 years anyway, say to me, well, it is what it is. I hate that statement. <laughs> because, and I've, I've told some of you who've been here with me long enough, because God says, I am that I am. So what's your perspective? Well, you know, Paul's going to say, hey, to live is Jesus and to die is gay. I want to live with that kind of perspective. Would you pray with me that I will? And will you join me in the journey of walking in love that way?